you would. All right, open your Bibles to the book of Luke today, St. Luke's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God, Luke chapter 14. And let's, if you can, stand. If you can't, that's fine too. On page 12,000, no, 1,236. Anybody got page 1,236? Nobody? What do y'all got? NIVs? What do y'all got? Can I buy what y'all got? 1,241. Okay. A King James Bible. As long as you have a King James Bible, that helps a lot. Following along with scriptures, sometimes they change it around on you and you can get mixed up. Be careful. Verse 16. This is a parable of the. Lord's Supper, we'll talk about today, and we're going to get the emphasis on the others in just a moment about joy, the real joy. Somebody says he spelled joy, J, Jesus, O, others, Y, you. So you always find that Jesus first in your life, put others out there to try to be a blessing, and then why you live for yourself also, because when you dedicate our individual lives to the Lord. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. You can see that on our bulletin also, if you've looked at it today. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. The only guy probably had a real excuse was that guy right there. <laughs> Verse 21, so that the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house began angry, said to his servant, Go, you'll find that on our bulletin also, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord... It is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And there went out great multitudes with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me and ate not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. May God add his blessings to the reading of the word of God. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and I say this before we pray. The Pharisees were the religious group of that day, along with the Sadducees I mentioned last week. And the Pharisees were very tied to the law. And they had many laws they've written since the Old Testament. They kept adding to laws and burdens, trying to put people into legalism and to... And to bondage, and even for salvation, you had to do these things to be right with God, and nothing could be farther from the truth. But the Lord loved the Pharisees. Sometimes we think he hated them. He preached a woe sermon in Matthew 26, or 22 or 23, and seven times he said, woe in the Pharisees. You think he almost hated them when he gave a message out, but he loved them. And I'm glad that some got saved. I'm glad men like the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew, got saved. I'm glad there's folks in the Bible that we read about who were disciples, 
who got saved who were Pharisees at one time, religious people. And I'm grateful for that. So he had a burden for them, but he got very angry because they were not receiving the message that he came not only to everybody, but he came to his own. That's the Jews. And his own received him not, but to them that gave him power to become the sons of God. Thank God for that. But many of them rejected Jesus during his earthly stay here on this earth. So the parable with the background is given to the Pharisaical people and applications made to our lives today. So I want to talk about the Lord's Supper. This is not the Lord's Supper of Communion. This is just the Lord's Supper, the banquet. I'll talk about it in just a moment. Father, I need your help. I pray you give me clarity of mind and help me, Lord, to have the strength to be able to speak today. Thank you for your grace that's always sufficient. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God that we can read and make application to our life. And I pray, God, that you'll do just that. And we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for what's accomplished. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. May be seated. From Adam in the Garden of Eden to the present day, men remain the same. Sometimes we look back over time and say that people are more wicked today than they used to be. That's not true. Just as I alluded to in the Sunday school lesson this morning about the Israelites, how wicked they were at times, how abominable they were, how sad they lived wicked lives. You go all the way back through the Bible and see the, the atrocities and the abominable things that people have done. People are just the same as they are today. The only difference is there's more of them. There's several billion people on planet Earth and there's several billions already passed through this world. But there's billions of people today and they have the same need that everybody else has had down through the annals of time. Conditions that prevail in the Bible times are present. They've always been up to date. The Bible is like a newspaper. You can read the Bible today. It's more up to date than the local newspaper to tell you what the needs are in Christianity. Now, I'm sick of 77 years old. I know I don't look that old. I'm just waiting on an amen somewhere through there. I'm 77 years old, and I've seen a lot of changes take place in America. And as now we're, what, 200 million people plus 300 million in America of souls that from Jesus loved. And he wants them to come to the banquet house. He wants them to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb someday, when that will be a great supper again at the end of time, and what a great event that will be. And God's still giving an invitation. A loving God that bends his heart down toward humanity. See, well, he sees what we don't see. If we took off, oh, maybe the, the cover of the earth and saw what God saw, it'd be so despicable and so abominable, we would probably regurgitate. Because it's terrible what men and women are doing. God looks down with nail-scarred hands today and reaches out and says, Come, come unto me, all you that labor heavy laden, I will give you rest. Ho, come unto me, ye that are thirst, come. He that hath no money, come. He says, come, come. I believe God's favorite word in the Bible is come. It's used many, many times. I think three or four hundred times in the Bible. The word come, all the way back to Genesis where he said to Noah, come into the ark. And they and his family walked into the ark that day. God waited seven days before he closed the door. And remember the scriptures that God closed the door. Seven days, Noah had preached all those years that the flood was going to come. There's going to be a a torrential downpour, a tremendous flood. Never happened before. Nobody never understood that. But Noah was preaching by faith the message God gave him. And when he got through preaching the message, God said, all right, you got the animals in. 
I want you to get your family in. Uh, Noah, get Mrs. Noah. Honey, come up the game plank. Every man ought to see his wife saved. Every wife ought to see her husband saved. Every man ought to see his children saved. Sham, Ham, get your wife. Come up the game plank. Come on. Come on. Hurry. Come on. Get inside. They walked inside the ark. Seven days later, the Bible says God shut the door. And nobody, nobody was able to come inside that ark. Once the door was shut, we call it the door of mercy. Seven souls were saved, eight souls were saved by the grace of God, and thank God for that. And they would reproduce the life on the planet Earth and begin it all over again. But God destroyed this world with the flood, promised by the rainbow. The rainbow is not a symbolism, symbolism of the lesbian crowd. It's a symbol that God gave there not be a flood coming anymore. God put a rainbow in the sky to give a covenant that he'd never destroy the world again like he did this time. But he's going to destroy it again by fire. May God help us to realize that God loves people. And so he's very patient, long-suffering. He puts up with a lot of things in people's lives, waiting for them to respond to the invitation. But God gives the invitation and salvation in places that are given around the world. Many are still rejecting the gospel. Excuses are as old as the human race. If you follow excuses, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you find the excuses started back then. And I read several, what, three excuses a while ago, and I'll make reference to others maybe tonight. The silly excuses that I've heard of folks rejecting Jesus Christ, they're silly. I mean, it's not really an excuse. It's, a, it's just a lie wrapped up on the outside looking like, a, like something precious, but it's despicable on the inside. It's uh, trying to excuse himself from God's invitation. And what a sad category it is that people refuse a loving invitation to go to a party go to a banquet house, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. They go back to the Garden of Eden with just a moment. God had made man, made him perfect, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Noah, Noah, Noah and Moses, I'll get Adam back in the garden. And Adam was in the garden, he was a perfect ten, made completely perfect in the eyes of God. He had a perfect man. There's only two or three of those in the world today, me and Fred Tyner. But God made a perfect man. Nothing defined. No, no, no marks of decay. No marks of aging. He was a perfect man. They're hard to find. You can't find any, as a matter of fact. And Adam blew it himself. And then God saw that Adam was lonely. And Adam knew he was lonely. And he got lonely after he named all the animals. Adam was an intelligent genius. God let him name every animal there was to be named. And so he went through the list. And Mr. and Mr. Tiger... Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, Mr. and Mrs. Lion, Mr. and Mrs. Monkey, all the way through, every, and he named what they were. And all this, they come before him, he named every animal on the face of the earth. When he got through, he was lonely. He saw everybody else had a mate, but he didn't have one. And God put Adam to sleep. And God, in his divine providence, reached down and performed the first surgery of the Bible. He reached into the the rib cage of Adam and pulled out a rib. And that that rib was taken out and God made a woe man from the very womb of Adam, the very inside of Adam. God took the rib from his side, from his heart, and made a woman. Adam looked at her when he woke up from anesthesiology that God gave him. He said, wow, look what I got. 
And she was a perfect 10. There was nothing defiling in them. They were perfect. They had a wonderful relationship. And God came walking in the cool of the day every day. Said, how you doing, Adam? Adam said, doing fine, Father. Thank you so much. Boy, I really love Eve. She's been precious to me. And I just love her to death. Eve, how you doing? Boy, Lord, thank you for making me as... I know I'm just a spare rib, but I'm something precious to Adam. And I sure do love the relationship we had. We get along so fine. We walk together, Lord, and we, we have a wonderful time. And you let us tend this garden and take care of it and the Garden of Eden. And we, we're just having a wonderful time. Everything's great and everything's wonderful. But something happened. The devil appeared on the scene, tempt Eve. And Eve listened to the message of the devil and defied, defied the Word of God and went against the Word of God. But Eve listened attentively because she was tempted by the devil. And Eve saw that the food was good to eat, as the devil said it was, and that she would be wise and she'd be lifted up and she'd be as the gods of the heavens. And so she was willing to partake of the Eve of the fruit. And so she turned and gave it to Adam. And Adam, the Bible says, ate of that fruit that they were told not to eat of. And the test of obedience was to be real in the reality in their life. And they were to be obedient to God and what God said. God didn't want robots. He didn't want A&Is. He wanted real people with flesh. And so he didn't make a robot, just push a button and let them go where they want to go. He made a real man. And he has the breath of God in his body. And Eve was a real woman, precious and beautiful in the sight of God and also in the sight of Adam. But Adam was tempted also by that fruit. And it was not because of Eve that the world was plunged into depravity. The Bible says because of one man, that one man being Adam, disobeyed God. And sin entered in the world by one man. And Adam sinned against the holy God and ate of the forbidden fruit. And something happened. Listen very carefully till I get the message today. And I'll probably not get very far into it. Here come God. Walking in the cool of the day. Adam, where art thou? He wasn't there waiting on his father. He wasn't there waiting in anticipation for the father to come. Adam, where art thou? And finally the response came from Adam. And there they were hiding over in the bushes. And sewed some fig leaves together. To hide their nakedness. Wonder why that was. For the first time in their life, they were ashamed to meet God. They made aprons out of fig leaves, try to cover their nakedness. God wasn't satisfied with that. Modesty began to be taught all the way back in the book of Genesis. God wanted modesty. Somebody said they probably dressed in poison ivy, is what happened to them. Anyhow, they put on some fig leaves and made aprons to try to hide themselves. And God said, where art thou? And God knew exactly where he was at. You said, why did he ask, where, the, where are you, Adam? Because he wanted Adam to know where he was at. He wanted Adam to realize what he had done. He wanted Adam to realize he had sinned against the holy God. And because he sinned against the holy God and disobeyed God, he's plunging the whole world into moral depravity. And every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that shall ever grace this earth comes from the loins of Adam. And because of that one sin, we are all here today, sinners in the eyes of God who need redemption. And God raises his hands again and gives an invitation. He wanted Adam to know he loved him, even though he'd sinned against the holy God. And so Adam was there hiding with his wife, Eve. And there they are dressed in fig leaves, hiding their nakedness. Somebody said before, sin 
There was probably a glow that was over their body all the time, maybe a light-like fixture. I'm not sure about that. Biblically, if I can understand that correctly, but it could have been. But whatever it was, they were ashamed to meet God now in their nakedness, tried to hide from God. And God came walking in the cool of the day as He always did. Where art thou? And then the excuses begin to come. And eventually as they begin to uh, listen to God and said, why did you do this? Why did you, did you know better? Why did you go ahead and sin against me and do the terrible thing you've done? Adam made the biggest excuse of all. Most terrible excuse could ever be made. He said, Lord, this woman that thou gavest me. He tried to blame it on his wife to start with. This woman that thou gavest me, she caused me to sin. Well, who did he blame? He blamed God. He said, this woman that thou gavest me has caused me to sin. Excuses began to permeate our society. And down through the generals of time, people have had excuse after excuse after excuse. What's your excuse for not coming to the banquet house? I think the banquet house in this parable is a symbol of the drama of the redemption of God, how God wants to save every individual and let them enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb down the road when we get over to the other side. But he had provided a plan, went to great expense. And when you have a big supper, there's a lot of expense involved in it. But people make excuses all the time uh, and become very indifferent to the things of God and sort of let it just like water running off their back. You can talk to people and they make excuse after excuse after excuse. After a while, that excuse turns into indifference. After a while, they'll be rocked to sleep in the, in the cradle of the devil and that, that excuse is justified in their eyes and they'll just keep on making it and making it until God's Holy Spirit gets a hold of their life. I was out in Texas years ago, Midland, Texas, desert oil country. Probably more millionaires in Midland, Texas, any place in the world. But my friend, pastor there that I was in revival with, who wanted to go out to the oil wells, there was a man he wanted to talk to. So we got on the road and went through the desert. Uh, no speed limit. We did. I know we, we went 100 miles an hour. I mean, I said, don't you all obey the speed laws? He said, we have to. They, they just forget it. I mean, if we run off, we just run off in the desert. He said, they don't make a big deal about it. So we're flying about 100 miles an hour across the desert. Finally come this oil rig out in the middle somewhere. He said, this is a friend of mine. And he said, I want you to talk to him. So we walked in and got acquainted with him. We chit-chatted about oil and so so forth and uh, how things were going, and we talked a while. And I said, well, how's your relationship with God? And the man said to me these words. I've never heard them before. He said, me and Murdoch get along fine. I said, excuse me? He said, me and Murdoch get along fine. I said, who's Murdoch? He's, he said, you may call him Jesus. I call him Murdoch. He says, you don't have to worry about me, preacher. I'm all right. Me and Murdoch talk regularly. And he used that phrase that we use so often and hear it so often from people. I'm good. I'm good. I'm all right. You don't have to worry about me. Me and Murdoch have it all together. Or sometimes they made something like the father up, the man upstairs, we're doing fine. I want to remind you, he's not the man upstairs. He's the God of heaven. He's the Lord God of creation. And sometimes we treat him like a, a stepfather, like a grandfather. We treat him like he's just some Santa Claus sitting up in heaven, stroking his beard and saying, everybody's going to be all right. Everybody's not going to heaven. There's people who reject Christ going to go to hell still in the Bible. And people are not going to go to heaven because they are good and because they think they're going there and because they sway the mind and sway their own mind. They're going to go to heaven one way through Jesus Christ and He alone. The only way to go to heaven, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
And so Mr. Murdoch, I don't know who that referenced to, then we found out Murdoch bought the town here in Kannapolis years ago. I don't know if he was referring to him or not, but Murdoch is my God. We get along fine. How sad excuses begin to roll. He said, I want to make a banquet for the, for the folks, and I want everybody to come. I want you to go out and tell folks the invitation has been given in this parable, and he did. He said he's serving out at supper time. And I think supper time is evening meal. Uh, I grew up maybe different than some folks. We had breakfast, we had lunch, and then we had supper. Now, when you eat supper now, we, we did city folk, we call it dinner. We're going to have dinner at 5 o'clock or dinner at 6 o'clock. But the Bible calls this supper time. used to be an old song at it's supper time. And the message goes out at supper time. It says, come for all things are now ready. The banquet's been prepared. The banquet is getting ready to be played on the table. And everything's done that needs to be done. And God has done all he can do to save every individual in this world. And he has sent servants out to give the message to come. And they all, with one consent, begin to make excuse. And then they were listed to us a while ago in the reading, the supper time. Analogy of salvation represents the redemption that God is offering to man. Ancient times, men would entertain guests by having a great supper. That's how they would entertain their guests. And they would, especially important people, if you didn't come to the banquet, you better have a good excuse. You better have a good reason instead of excuse. And if you're going to not come to the banquet, you're making almost insulting the man who prepared the supper. He wanted everybody to come. I want you to go out on the highways and the hedges. I want you to get everybody. I want you to get the poor. I want you to get the main, get the halt, get the blind, get everybody. I want everybody here. I want everybody here. I want everybody here. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is bankrupted heaven uh, to give the very best that we could have on earth. And then he's preparing us a great celebration time in heaven. And he wants everybody to be there. And so the drama of redemption that goes back to Adam and begin to find its way uh, through the annals of time to the year 2024. And here we are. And God God's still in love with nail-scarred hands. As I've said repeatedly already this morning, if I were Jesus Christ, and I am not, but if I stood in your presence today, you'd see two holes, one in this hand and one in this hand. And you could almost, if you could, see the rib cage where the sword plunged his side on Mount Calvary. You could see the nail prints in his feet. Jesus Christ still gives the invitation. The only difference is there's a nail scar in it. There are scars in his body. Someone said the only thing in heaven not made by God it was made by man, and that's the nail scars. The only thing in heaven that God didn't put there himself, man put them in him. And he'll bear those throughout eternity. As long as there is a world, as long as there is an eternity, God in heaven will always see him with nail scars. And someday he'll say, let's take a walk. Let me show you my kingdom. Let me show you the kingdom of God. Let's walk around for a while. He'll take me by the hand and lead me through the promised land. And my glorified hand will not have nail scars in it. My glorified hand will be perfect just like it was in the Garden of Eden when Adam was made by divine providence and God breathing his nostrils the breath of life. Adam had a perfect hand. Nothing defiling about it, nothing wrong, no wrinkles in it. It was perfectly made as God wanted it to be. And he'll take me by the hand and place the nail scarred hand in my hand or my, nails, my little hand in his hand. Some way I'll be able to touch The hand, the feet, the body was crucified on the cross of Calvary. I know he arose from the dead three days later after his death, but he rose and he still had those nail scars in his hands. He told the woman at the garden, touch me not for I have not yet ascended. But he told 
Downing Thomas touched me when he finally saw him, just touched me. And Thomas began to cry, Oh God, I'm sorry. People have believed on you and they didn't, by faith, and here I've not trusted you. He repented of his sin, of doubting that that was the Messiah, but he had the nail scars in his hand. When he takes me by the hand, leads me through the promised land, I didn't finish the course of that song. What a day that will be. What a day that will be when he takes me by the hand. What a day it will be when he takes you by the hand. Somebody says that will take a long time. Time's no factor. We're in eternity. There's no time. There's no morning, no night. There's no day, no night. There's no clock. It's one eternal ages forever and ever. And we shall be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so thankful to God for the banquet he's preparing for us. Everyone loves to eat. And so he gives out a special... Let me just back up on that. Everybody loves to eat? Raise your hand. How many says, Preacher, hurry up and get with the message so I can get with the food I'm about ready to eat? Your stomach starts growling about 11.30 and you know it's 12. What time is it? 10 to 12? About 12, your stomach will start growling. I won't pay much attention to it, but I'll know it's growling. <laughs> we love to eat. We love to go to banquets. I love to go to banquets. I love to go to, you know, eat a big meal. Nothing wrong with that. I think we all enjoy that. And he's prepared a great banquet place and he wants people to come. The supper is expressive. It's delightful. Everyone loves to eat. God's not inviting us to a concentration camp or to a funeral. He's not, he's not giving an invitation to come to something dead and dry. He wants us to come to something that's alive and something that's great and something precious that's made by his own hand. I want you to come and see what I made in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to do it again throughout the endless ages of eternity. God is going to make it pure and precious and beautiful and how beautiful heaven's going to be. Right. And he wants to have a wonderful banquet that we can enjoy in the glory land. We can be able to sit down one day uh, with God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and be able to fellowship with him and all the saints of the Old Testament, including Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and every saint that's ever been born again down through the annals of time. Everyone loves a good banquet. It's not a funeral he's inviting us to. The devil tries to get, a, get us to think that Christianity is sort of sad. And sometimes we almost act that way, that we just sort of got drudgery on our mind. Now, I, I know all of us have a long face from time to time, a long face of sadness because we're going through troubles and trials. But the Bible says Christianity is joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Bible says that my strength is my joy. How can you keep going in the midst of trials and troubles? If you're a Christian, it's your joy. Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do you keep going? How do you keep facing what you face in Nehemiah? Joy. Joy. Peter, how do you face what you're going to face? Peter, you preached and been, now you've been persecuted, been arrested, and now they're going to crucify you. And Peter was prophesied by Jesus Christ that he would die similar to the Lord Jesus. Peter knew he was going to die. There came a day when Peter they came for execution. History says, not the Bible, you all heard it before, that Peter said, I don't want to be crucified upside, right side up. I want you to turn me upside down. You say, but how, how can he do that? Because he said, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Well, what a thought. Just a few days and maybe a few weeks at the most after Peter had written those words to the, to the church and his own words, he says it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus Christ, when he's about to face the cross, endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. 
I think joy is being missed in our lives, and sometimes we're all missing the, missing the mark. We sometimes frown more than we should frown. And I, I know it's difficult sometimes to always be on the, on the top side. I understand that. I understand that the discouragement comes to all of us and trials and troubles and problems, difficulty. But the devil has to get folks feeling like Christianity is just a bunch of boring days and just a, a bunch of trials and heartaches and a sad sack. But as you read through the book of Acts, every time they got persecuted, they came back and rejoiced. Amen. Well, how do, you, how do you read that? I mean, if somebody took me out today and beat me up and threw me into prison and put me in Stockton bonds, could I be rejoicing? I can hear it now. Paul and Silas on the backside of the prison cell, the 16th chapter of Acts I preached on the other day, and there they were back there in stocks and bonds, just been beaten terribly, thrown back there, and, and, a, and a guard put it in the sign to watch them. And about the midnight hour, they begin to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Can you imagine in the darkest hour of their life, and knowing they may be killed before long, and Apostle Paul would eventually be crucified, have his head chopped off, history says, in Rome, and that would come. But here Paul and Silas are there now singing at the midnight hour. I don't think it was a sad song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Silas says, glory. And Silas says, can I join you? And Paul said, jump in anywhere you want to. If we started singing Amazing Grace right now, would you be able to jump in anywhere you want to? Would your heart be full of that which is not pleasing to God? As David said after he sinned against Bathsheba, after he committed sin against Uriah, her husband, and had him killed in battle, after that long ordeal of tears at night, when Nathan appeared before David and rebuked him of his sin, he realized he'd sinned against God. Oh, that repentant prayer. And he said these words in Psalm 51 verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He said, I don't want you to restore my salvation. I want you to restore the joy of thy salvation. He wanted to be able to enjoy the Christian life, the godly life, the life that was pleasing unto the Lord. And, and he sung and he, and he prayed that prayer against thee and thee only have I sinned and committed this great transgression in thy sight. No more worthy. I'm not even worthy to be in the family. I'm not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy of anything. But God, restore. Don't, don't take it away completely. Restore unto me the joy. Lord, don't let it be. I don't have joy in my life. And Peter said, it's joy unspeakable, full of glory. David said, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Paul said, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus said, it's joy unspeakable. For I see what's going to happen. People are going to be redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their name is going to be penned in the book of life. He says, rejoice not that demons are subject to you, but rejoice because your name is in the book of life. Hallelujah for the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world that we can have forgiveness of our sin and can go through life and the trials and the heartaches and say it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. You say, but preacher, I don't have that today. Why don't you? Why don't I? Why is it we can't enjoy the Christian life? Many folks almost endure the Christian life. It seems like how sad that is that they go through life with an attitude of maybe... Somewhere along the way, it's going to get better. Some way, it's going to get good. I was thinking the other day, I jotted down some notes about the oil of gladness. I mentioned Nehemiah 10, the joy of the Lord, your strength. Turn with me, please, to the book of Habakkuk just a moment. In the Old Testament, I'll give two verses before we quit today. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, 
There's only three chapters in it back in one of the minor prophets. He had seen some terrible things. He was afraid. Verse 1 says of chapter 3, he said, O Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of years. Make known in wrath, remember mercy. Lord, it's in a mess. O God, I'm afraid. O God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to face it, Lord. I don't know what to do. I know I'm your prophet. I know I'm supposed to give the message. You come down to verse 17. Well, let's read verse 16. When I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh upon his people, he will invade them with, the, with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the foal, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. No fruit, no food, no meat. Everything's bad, everything's terrible. My, my stomach's troubling. I'm quivering in my voice. The rottenness has entered into my bones, and I've trembled myself in thy presence. Oh, that I may have rest. In the midst of the years that I may have rest. And verse 18 says, Yet because of all of this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Well, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Well, the Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instrument. Get the instrument out. It's time to play. It's time to rejoice. It's time to be excited about the things of God. Listen, this world is not going to be drawn to sad sacks. I mean, if we get around the average Christian, I mean, the whole world is just a mess for them. And it is a mess for everybody. But right in the midst of all this mess, it's joy unspeakable, full of glory. Amen. He said, I want you to drink water from the wells of my salvation, Isaiah chapter 12. I want you to drink water from the wells of my salvation. I want you to drink water from the springs of living water where you never thirst again. Jesus told the woman by the well, she come thirsty that day looking for water physically. Then she had a conversation with Jesus Christ and he gave her the great lesson of salvation about she could drink water that she never thirst again. She says, the well is deep. She says, I have nothing to draw with. And she, she misunderstood the whole point about spiritual water. But he says, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. That day, that woman of ill repute who came to the water to drink, no doubt after having five husbands and living with the sixth, living in an adulterous affair, she came. I think she came out maybe at the end of the day because she was not able to come with the rest of the women or ashamed to come with the rest of the women. But she came. She came seeking physical water and Jesus gave her eternal life. Somebody says she came to look for a well and took the well home with her. And she did. Well, she never thirsted. She said, come see a man and show me all things I've ever done since I've been born. Come see a man who showed me all things. Life can become a bore. It can become a chore. I often use the illustration like Christians. Sometimes we sort of waddle along walking in molasses trying to make the next step. The joy of the Lord's our strength. Frustrations, disappointments, you have them. There's not a person in this room that I'm talking to that doesn't have disappointments. And someone said that disappointments are God's appointments for when you're going to meet Him. Every tragedy that comes, every heartache that comes is, a, is a, an appointment of God. He's allowed it to happen or He has caused it to happen, one or the other. 
And when that happens in your life, it is a divine appointment, and you're at a divine appointment day right now today. It's a divine appointment in your life. See, preacher, I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed in my life. And God's got a message for you. He says it's joy unspeakable and full of glory, what I'm offering you. Drink from the wells of salvation where you don't have to thirst again. And learn not to learn to realize that life is not a bore and a chore. It's not wading through molasses, it's walking through this world saying, Glory to God, I'm among the redeemed. You can you can shout when you can't do anything else. When he told Moses, he said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. How many times in the Bible we just got to stop and say, Lord, I know you're in control and I give it to you completely. Take my life and let it be completely yielded to thee. Someone has said that divine oil is the lubricator for our souls. It takes care of the fact that dust builds up through disappointments and accumulation, uh, disappointments and frustrations. But God's Holy Spirit is the lubricating the joy of the Lord. It takes care of the erosions of daily living. Joy gives zest to all activities. Joy follows doing the will of God. You want to have joy? Jesus said that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. You want to have joy tomorrow? Then you do the will of God today. You want to have joy tomorrow? Follow Jesus today. And right in the midst of that, you find joy in the midst of all of it. And pillow your head. How sad it is. Sometimes we forget. When my cup runneth over with joy, it's easy to sing all the day. But when my cup is empty and dry, then it's easy to sit down and cry. And David said, restore unto me the joy. Oh God, my life is disarray. My life's a mess. It's all confused. And the devil's the author of confusion. He's leading me down a primrose path. I don't want to go that way. Oh God, don't let me go that way. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Help me to sing again when the song's gone out of my heart and have hung my harps on the willow tree and I can't sing anymore. I can't play the instrument no more. I have no joy. It's just drudgery, enduring, walking in molasses. Lord, I can't enjoy life. He says, call unto me and I'll give you the joy of your life. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation was David's prayer it should be all of our prayer today may God help us today to realize that God wants to bless us you see sometimes we don't have joy you don't enjoy church I enjoy the singing today of the choir I enjoy the blessings of listening to them sometimes you go to church it can almost be boring you say preacher when are you going to hush I'm going to quit just in about five minutes but you ought to enjoy preaching if you get a good dose of sound, you'll love, to, you'll love to listen to preaching. Not just here. Anywhere you can find a good sermon. We compare notes sometimes. Willie and I talk quite often about sermons we listen to. He may send me one he heard, and, and I rejoice in that. But we'll just listen to sermons, reading, reading sermons. I tell anybody, if you want to follow, just listen to sermons. I mean, you could turn off the television, could we not, and listen to a sermon. Sometimes our music is not godly music and we wonder why we got defeated because the devil has a music. He, is, he fell from the choir loft. Uh, he fell out of heaven as a musician leader and fell in the choir loft in many churches. He wants us to find ourselves no song in our heart. But the Lord wants to give us a song in the night in the darkest hour. And so it is when you live your life, sometimes church can become just a bore and a chore and sometimes you wonder if it's worth going to church. Remember, when the persecution comes, it ain't going to matter about a lot of things. If the guards walked in today, and several years ago, and I close with this, several years ago in a youth activity, we had one of our policemen friends in uptown to help us. We, made the, we went through the persecution of Christians. We hid down in the basement and, uh, of the church, 
and we was hiding in various places and trying to escape the persecution coming from the enemy for Christians. So he was telling the story about persecutions and talking about how Christians don't have to be persecuted. I mean, there was fear in their eyes. They were afraid. They wondered what happened. And all of a sudden, this guard come in and with the guns holding up. And of course, they were not loaded. He come in and arrested all those in the room. And some of them thought it was a real thing. They thought they were really getting, <laughs> going to be taken off to jail. But it was an enactment of the fact. Here they are trying to serve God, trying to worship God in secret. And all of a sudden, the enemy come blasting in. That happens all over the world when they track them down and find out where Christians are. But in the midst of that, joy unspeakable, full of glory. I've had the privilege to go to mission fields on several occasions. And I've heard some of the best singing I've ever heard in my life in some of the most remote places that you can imagine. I think of the churches today that meet on concrete floors and have no padded pews. They have no fine instruments like we have in, in America to play in the church services. They have no illustrious buildings. Some of them meet with four poles just sticking up one in each corner and a canopy over top of it. Some of them meet out in the woods somewhere just sort of dust off a place and fellowship together. It's time to go to church. Sometimes they walk an hour just to get there. And we've seen this happen many times. They get there, they begin to sing songs like we sing here, maybe their language. We knew what they were singing. We could sing along because it's the same tune. And we sung together some of those old hymns of the faith. And before long, the tears were streaming down their eyes and the joy bells of heaven. Every once in a while, they would say, glory, glory. Because it was the strength to face what they had to face. And they were going through tough times and difficult hours and wondered if the sun was going to rise again. But they always made it to the house of God to be able to fellowship with other Christians and see what was going on. They had a joy about them. I don't want to lose my joy. You know, sometimes you live your life and it gets full of pressures and problems. You just, what's the sense of going on? It will be worth it all when we get home. And may I just preface that and say it's worth it all now to know everything's all right between me and my God. I'm saved and I will pray. I'm saved. If you're saved, amen, hallelujah. There ought to be a joy in your heart. You'll not draw other folks into yourself until you enjoy your Christianity. Number two, are you backslid like David away from God? Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Number three, do you need to come and just rededicate your life? Say, Lord, I just want to live for you and serve you. Thank you for being mindful of me. And Lord, whatever you want me to do, fine. Wherever you want me to go, fine. When you want me to do it, fine. I am yours at your disposal. I make myself available. Here am I. Send me, as Isaiah of old said. May God help us all to be found faithful at the post of responsibility. Let's stand together, please. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. He prepared a banquet for them. It should be a time of joy, but it was a time of rejecting excuses. What kind of excuse are you making today not to be living for the Lord? Father, take the frailty of the human language today. Take the frailty of this human body. In some way, Lord, may the divine Holy Spirit of God penetrate, penetrate the hearts of people. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. But Lord, you can. Help folks, Lord, who come to Jesus today for salvation. Help folks to come rededication of their life. Lord, help them to come today and say, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in a prayer. Not my brother or my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. The joy's gone. There's no joy in their life. There's no spring in their step. 
they've lost the meaning of life. God, help us today. Give us revival in the midst of the years and wrath. Remember mercy. Yet, yet, through all of that, we'll keep on rejoicing and rejoicing. We have something the world didn't give us, and the world can't take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.